Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are a recording of our Sunday morning meetings. We pray that these will be a blessing to you. So please, enjoy listening. If you want to know more, please contact us at office at livingstoneschurch.co.uk. Hello, Living Stones. Hello. Oh, that's a nice work. Nice, nice playback. Very nice. I'll just give everybody a couple of seconds to finish making their coffees and what have you, and then we'll uh, and then we'll start. But what I would like to say is, I generally regard myself as a a fairly happy person. There are lots of things that I find quite nice and quite fun. I get a lot of pleasure from. But I was very, very heartened this morning to see Louise back with us this morning. <laughs> Louise, it's been such a long time, and we really do. We're really glad to see you, and we really, we really thank the Lord that you're able to be here with us today. I know it's been a long journey, but you're so welcome here, and we love having you here. And welcome back. It's so good to see you. Right, uh, welcome everybody. Uh, my name's Rob. I'm uh, part of the leadership team here at Livingstones. I think I know almost everybody, but for those I don't, hello, hello, hello. Um, so we'll uh, spend our time together this morning with, uh, with some worship, then we'll have some family time. Uh, we've got a few announcements, and then we'll have Martin to talk to us in the next series on foundations. But today is a pretty special day. Can anybody maybe under 15 tell me what today is? Go on then, Jess. Was that a mouthful? Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday. Very good. Right, I'll let you... I'll let you finish your mouthful, and then we'll come with a we'll come with a follow up question. What's uh, what's significant about Palm Sunday, Jess? That's it. Go on. That's it. Nice and loud. That's right. Jesus came into Jerusalem, didn't he, on a donkey, and the people were cheering and celebrating and laying down palm palm leaves and cloaks that came into the city. And I'm just going to read from Luke 19. Uh, to to situate us. So as he approached uh, Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying this colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices, just like we're going to praise God in loud voices shortly, uh, for all the miracles that they'd seen. So very exciting indeed. But also very interesting because just a few days later, as we talked with Ellie last week, Jesus was carrying his cross to Golgotha, helped by Simon of Cyrene. And it got me thinking about that this morning because we've got a coronation coming up soon, haven't we? In about a month, is it? It's the first weekend of April, isn't it? And probably unlikely that King Charles will arrive on a donkey, probably more probably more like a limousine. I don't think people will be throwing palms, but they may well they may well be throwing, you know, flowers and confetti and ticker tape and what have you. But one thing I can say for sure, union, yeah, union jack flags, yeah, and some, yeah, some special merchandise. Yeah, that's true. But what won't, what won't happen is he won't be, he won't be carried, he won't be carrying his cross 
four or five days later, he won't be dying for our sins because Jesus already died for those. Um, just a quick anecdote. When I started dating Kaz, I wasn't a Christian, and uh, we spent Christmas together, and then we spent Easter together, and she was so excited about Easter, and I was like, why are you so, that's so exciting? I know, I know Easter's good. I know Easter's good because I went to church when I was a little kid. Why are you so She said, Rob, Easter is the time. I said, yeah, but what about Christmas? No, Easter is the time. And at the time, I didn't see it, and now I really do. That's, now's the time to get excited. Christmas was brilliant, don't get me wrong. Amazing. Birth of Jesus, incredible. But Easter, this is the time. So here we are at the start of Holy Week. This is our opportunity to give worship, give thanks, give praise. And Mandy will come to you to lead our worship. Just thinking of that donkey just right now. The Amazing Grace is our first song. And I can see Amazing Grace. Jesus on a donkey. Father, take the power of that truth. Make an open door with it into our hearts, Father. is the David Suchet of Livingstones Church. But more than that, he's a spirit-filled man. I've asked him to read a, an immense passage from Isaiah. So please sit down for a while. It's a contemplation, really. I just want you to let the words in. Just open the door of our hearts and minds and ears and let the words in. Let them dwell in us richly. Um, and for people that are not familiar with this passage it's in the Old Testament it's in Isaiah and it was written centuries before the name of Jesus was even said or known before Jesus was born and I think it is really one of the most profound descriptions of what happens at the cross and it also has if you listen carefully the resurrection in it so over to you Paul has believed what we have heard and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or comeliness that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when he makes himself an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the fruit of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquity. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Father, that you fill us with truth and you must fill our hearts with praises, Father. And uh, Lord, we're in between in our, in our seasons of knowing and uh, celebrating or remembering the crucifixion and celebrating Easter. Father, we live in that time. Father, we always live with the crucifixion and live with the resurrection. And uh, we know both because of your Son. So, Father, we 
we just devote ourselves to you for the rest of this this life that we have that you've given us and we celebrate you. Amen. Thank you, Mandy, and thank you, Paul, as well. Um, it's interesting what Sue prayed about um, how little we've got to give, and yet we've got everything that we can give as well. And it's just what the Lord wants as well, giving our lives. I think of all the things that I have to do each week. I think, oh, that's really difficult. I don't want to do that. And this is something quite easy. I accept Jesus into my life, and I, and I thank him for all that he does for me. That's not so difficult, and I'm glad that I'm able to do it. Some really exciting props down here for family time which I hope Martin's going to be using. I'm sure the kids will be very interested in some of these. <laughs> oh, well, even more props. Oh, no, that's right. That's, that's, the, that's the lead. That's good. Dinosaurs. How do they fit in with the sequence of creation as written in the Bible? So I brought along some dinosaurs this morning. Well, you wouldn't believe it really in a box this size, would you? Although, did you know the average dinosaur size, do you know what the average dinosaur size was? It's about the size of a sheep, okay? Lots of them were as small as chicken. But they're not the famous ones. All right, so, what should I go for first? Let's go for a well-known one. Who's this? T-Rex. Who's going to come and hold uh, T-Rex for me? Come on. Sorry? No. No, it's, there, there you are. It's, this, no, no dinosaur with feathers has yet been discovered, okay? No fossilised dinosaur with feathers has yet been discovered, all right? Um, they do have decayed collagen fibres, which have been interpreted as feathers, because it fits a narrative, all right? Right, next one. Next one. Um, we'll try and go for one which might... Come on, yeah. It's difficult. It's a difficult word anyway, but when your mouth's full, it's even more difficult. You nearly got it. Triceratops. Good. Come on, come and come and hold triceratops for us. Well, it may be Arenoceratops. When I looked at it, it looked a little bit more like another in that family of, of, of dinosaurs. Right, what else have we got? Um, okay, here's one that I think people will... Stegosaurus. Okay, do you want to... <laughs> okay, who wants to hold Stegosaurus for me? Here we are. Okay. Now, here's another one. And you would have said to this one, probably... Stegosaurus, wouldn't you? Well, I did a little bit of searching, and I think this is Lexovisaurus. All right? In the same family, but 
completely different, okay? Still has these spiky bits on the end of his tail. Okay, David, do you want to come and hold this one? Is that your... No. Okay, so who wants to hold Lexovisaurus for me? And this is the last one. By the way, big thank you to Mandy and Tony's grandson uh, for providing our visuals this morning. It's a, I don't think it's a raptor. No. Okay, anyone know it? It's Allosaurus. Allosaurus. Okay. Here we are. Good, good, good. Okay, hold them up nice and clear so everyone can see, and then you can uh, just pop them back in the box. Thank you very much. And... <coughs> okay. Now, the question was, how do they fit into the sequence? the Bible. Now, I really, it is so hard for you to do, so hard for all of us to do, because uh, all our schooling, all the books we read, all the documentaries we see, all, all the stuff we see on the media has presented us with a particular story around dinosaurs. Okay, they lived 65 million years ago, and uh, they died out when a great uh, meteor plunged into Mexico, and uh, they were some of you know all the all the stories we hear about dinosaurs. But if we, if you can try to erase that stuff out of your brain for the moment and think, what would the Bible teach about dinosaurs? Okay. That's what we're going to try and do now. And make a, a simple statement which you might want to on, but I would say the account of dinosaurs has no scientific evidence to contradict it. All right? That's a bold statement, so I'd probably will be hard-pressed to defend it totally because I'm not a scientist, but there we are. Let's just start with um, this one. So when did dinosaurs first appear on the Earth according to the Bible? On day six. Okay. On day six, that we're talking about the land ones now. On day six, God created all the land creatures. Well, they're creatures, they live on the land, created on day six. Same, same day that humans were as well. Then, a big rush through. And this is, this is so important. It, when, when I think about and what started me on the road to understand how the biblical story really makes sense of what we see in the world around us, it was knowing about the flood that was made all difference. A book called The Genesis Flood, this thick, which I read about 50 years ago, 
and it transformed my thinking and I've never had any reason to go back on it now. But it was the impact of the flood on the earth which is so important for understanding about what happened to dinosaurs. Okay? So what happened in the flood? Who, who survived the flood? Noah, eight people, and <coughs> the animals in that pit. Two by two, uh, they went in, and clean animals went in, uh, seven of them, didn't they? Seven pairs uh, of, of the, what they called the clean animals. But, and I'm, I like this picture because it includes dinosaurs going in. You may say, how did they fit in? Well, A, the ark was massive. It had no problem fitting in all the kinds, biblical kinds of animals that needed to be fitted in. There was plenty of room and for storing all the food and everything. But what about, you know, one of these big, um, uh, well, the biggest is, uh, 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 there's one called Titanosaurus. Um, it was huge. I mean, it, well, you know how big they were. Even the thigh bone, thigh bone was that tall. Um, they took juveniles on. Juveniles is young ones, okay? Dinosaurs have a growth spurt. They, they found out that dinosaurs had a growth spurt so for about, about age 15. They, they, they started off from an egg about this size, the big ones, and then they just grew up. Well, they took in young ones just before they had their growth spurt, just before their adult stage. Okay. Then, what happened to all the rest of the dinosaurs? Did you hear that? Very well, very well described. Basically, where do all the fossils come from? <laughs> How did they get there? David's just told us. The, the was just such an immense cataclysm. We cannot imagine fountains of the great deep, these huge mega supervolcanoes bursting up from the seabed and across the land. Tsunamis racing across the earth, sweeping everything in their path. And it overwhelmed the, the world of those days, including the dinosaurs that were buried in sediment, mud, which hardened and became rocks. And instead of happening slowly and gradually over millions and millions and millions of years, it happened very quickly. And in fact, fossils are the most fantastic evidence of the Bible. Okay. Now, one lady, uh, a scientist called Mary Schweitzer, uh, 30 years ago, was looking at a T-Rex fossil. 
and she had a, a, a sharp rotating um, saw cutter and she was wanting to this fossil bone and which was on the surface looked like a lump of fossilized rock shaped like a bone and as she was doing it she sniffed said that's funny that smells like burning flesh it's from Lydney in Gloucestershire a mosaic and it, you can see it, it these are actually sea creatures uh, but again long-necked sea creatures which we wouldn't see today and again that strange interlocking of the necks just weird that one which what what's this one do you think this is stegosaurus yeah everyone recognizes that as a stegosaurus this is a carving in a 13th century temple you can go and see it today it's in Angkor Wat in what in, in Cambodia uh, uh, yeah I mean how did 13th century people know what a stegosaurus looked like they didn't know anything about fossils even if they had discovered a fossil I don't think they could have done that Okay, this one is from a 14th century carving in a church in Georgia. This one is an interesting one. It's uh, a brass engraving around a tomb in Carlisle Cathedral. You can go to Carlisle Cathedral. It's covered by a carpet. You have to ask for the carpet to be removed in order to see it because it's been worn over the years. But again, two sauropod-type dinosaurs, again, with this strange interlocking of the necks. Um, you can see it's got a bit worn. By the way, don't be deceived. That bit on the uh, on the left there is not a head. It's it's a horned tail, and uh, and some dinosaurs did have a horned tail, like that. Um, Leonardo da Vinci drew this uh, sketch. Okay, that's it. Dinosaurs and the Bible. I find them fascinating. I find. The whole narrative, absolutely fascinating. If you've got any further questions, try me later. Lord, thank you. Your works are wonderful. Lord, you made these amazing creatures. Uh, <laughs> it would have been really great to have got to know them. Lord, they've died out uh, for different reasons. But Lord, we want to acclaim you as our creator God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Martin. Um, right, we have come to the point where our children will go to Sunday school, and this week it's with Kaz. I was going to try and think of something to say then, but I won't. <laughs> Should be good. Uh, first of all, though, we've got our collection. Thomas, would you be able to hold the can for me? And Amelia, would you be able to hold the giraffe? Thank you very much. So, oh, they're not on the screen today, but our um, the young people that we support in Kabubu in Uganda um, benefit from our donations, if we have any. I know that we forgot to bring our money this week. And actually, whilst we're doing that, Paul, can I start with you on the collection? Uh, as we say every week, we know a lot of people give by um, bank transfer, and if you're a visitor, please don't feel uh, obliged to give. Right. Oh, guys. Oh, there we go. Thank you, Lee. Um, perhaps if we just take a short break now and come back at half past, uh, full of coffee and ready to talk more creation. Hey. Uh, 
Welcome back, everybody. Hope that you've all uh, got your coffees in order. Um, a few notices, and then we'll come on to the second half of our uh, creation discussion today. So, first of all, um, so last week we prayed for uh, Jonathan Deans, who uh, had an accident about 10 days ago down at the seafront. Um, as you would have seen from the uh, from the, the newsletter, uh, he had an operation uh, at the start of the week, which appears to have gone um, fairly well. He's now going to undergo a period of convalescence uh, and have the work that they've done kind of reset in a few weeks to aid his recovery. Um, and then hopefully we'll we'll see him back with us uh, in a couple of months. Is that about right, Jeanette? Yeah. Yeah, so please do uh, continue to to pray for Jonathan. Um, pray for his healing, but also pray for his uh, comfort as he's um, kind of separated from us and sort of further apart from uh, his family as well. He might be separated from us physically, but he'll he'll definitely be in our hearts and in our prayers. Um, second thing, holiday club. So that take that starts on uh, Monday, and Justin is downstairs as we speak constructing the the set and it all looked very exciting when I was peering in. I think there are still some last minute volunteering opportunities so if anybody uh, would like to do that grab grab Justin at a moment when he's not hammering something into a wall or something like that today. Well <laughs> if he is hammering something into the wall Paul will probably grab him. <laughs> um, the Monday night testimony uh, so a cowboy no not a cowboy a Dallas cowboy so a former professional football player, which is different from a soccer player. Um, but a guy, a guy called Michael Kislak, um, who yeah was a professional with the Dallas Cowboys, who are, for those who don't know or aren't so interested, an incredibly famous American football team. Um, and he spent a lot of time um, helping to bring his teammates to the Lord and using his ministry as an extremely famous person to, um, to, to, to testify to the Lord Jesus in his life. Um, so details for how to join the Monday Testimony at 8 o'clock are on Zoom. Uh, ignore the date, that's a bad cut and paste by Kaz and I, but the meeting ID uh, is correct. Um, one more notice and a couple of other substantive items. Uh, you have seen these extremely uh, nicely laid out and really nicely coloured um, Easter leaflets on your tables. So those are different um, things that are happening uh, as part of our collective of churches together for Old Town. Uh, a couple of things that I would pull out. Uh, the Good Friday Walk of Witness, 10.30, uh, starting at 10.30 at Old Town Community Centre at the bottom of Central Avenue. Uh, Friday evening, we've got our Living Stones uh, Good Friday meal. The sign-up sheet's still at the back. Uh, I need to let Johnny know this afternoon how many folks will be joining us for that evening so that he can order all the food in. Uh, so if you haven't signed up and you're planning to, please do sign up. Uh, there's the Easter Sunday sunrise service at a time called 6.10 in the morning, which some people might have heard of. Um, at Beachy Head War Memorial um, on Easter Sunday. And then obviously we'll be here 10.30 in the morning, uh, Easter Sunday, to celebrate uh, our Lord's resurrection. Um, one more thing, church lunch taking place up here today, Sue, is that right? And are we back to soup? Back to soup. Don't say that sadly, that's a good thing. <laughs> I, really, I really enjoy the soup. A um, couple of other items. So the first one is um, something around church life. Um, so there are numerous studies or numerous thoughts, ideas, that with your church, doesn't matter how great your great your leaders are, maybe, how great how great your worship is, how great your children's work is, the brilliant speakers you bring in, 
if your admin sucks, then you're basically in trouble. People don't know when to go where, People things don't happen. Church life becomes more challenging for everybody. So at Living Stones, we're being proactive and we're addressing that. And we have hired an extremely talented person to be our admin person one day a week. And it's for that reason I'd like Jess just to come forward for a minute. <laughs> now, we didn't prepare any of this. I should have, uh, I should have said, Jess, I'm going to ask you loads of questions, but I'm not. I'm just going to ask you one question, really, and that's how are you going to fit all this in with all the other things that you do, including <laughs> teaching? I don't know. <laughs> no, it will be fine. Um, I'm still teaching, but as most of you know, I teach part-time. And I was looking for some more hours, and this sounds like um, a fab fabulous opportunity, but also a great way to serve the church. Um, and I mulled it over quite some time and prayed about it, and I'm really excited to join the team. Well, we're really pleased to have you already. Only two weeks in, and we're really pleased to have you. Um, I'm just looking around for a couple of people to pray. Jean, would you be able to pray for Jess for us, please? And then Tony after that. Lord, we thank you for Jess. We thank you for her lovely smiling face. We thank you, Lord, that she is so desirous to serve you, to serve the church. And we just pray, Lord, that you'll go with her, be with her, and give her all that she needs to accomplish her teaching and to accomplish her tasks for the church. And Lord, we just thank you for her willingness, for her seeking after you to be sure that she was going in the right direction. And we thank you for her this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Behind you. <laughs> Father God, thank you for Jess. Thank you that she's uh, come forward to do this very important job. Um, half the time we won't see what she does, but we would see if she didn't do it. <laughs> and uh, so thank you, Lord, that uh, you've uh, called her to do this. And thank you, Jess, for accepting the, uh, the, the offer to, of the job. And I pray, Father, that you will give her just guidance through all the tasks that have to she has to do. And although they might be somewhat routine, perhaps, that nonetheless she's doing it for your glory, Lord, for your church, for your kingdom here, Lord, this little bit of it called Living Stones. She's working for you. And I pray your blessing upon her in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now I can ask. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Right, Jess, that was the that was the nice bit. The uh, the, the difficult bit is that now the work really starts. So we'll um, please do continue to contact Kaz and I uh, on on all matters, and we can filter stuff through to Jess. But we'll also uh, let you know how you can get in touch with Jess as well, and uh, from next week's newsletter, and we'll put a little blurb in next week's newsletter as well, so that people have got it, particularly folks that aren't here. Okay. Uh, Final one before we go to creation. Martin, could we tag team on the Dugmores? Do you want to start? Okay. Um, you may remember we had an offering to, uh, uh, for Daniel and Susie Dugmore, uh, a missionary couple in southern Africa who we support, and their particular need was a home base for their family. They'd been homeschooling and traveling, but now they, for the, as a 
children reach teenage years, they need to settle down so they can go to school. And in order to do that, they need a home. And so we have helped towards raising money for the home, which they have now bought in actually South Africa. And uh, the uh, and Rob will tell you, thank you so much for your giving. Rob will tell you how much it has come to. Yeah, it's like a telethon. Um, I was amazed actually when we asked we asked Richard in the week for how much. Yeah, exactly. I see it come up there. Yeah, I should have done that. I didn't prepare well enough. Um, when Richard, uh, we asked Richard earlier in the week, what's the what's the final tally? And uh, I had an idea in my mind, and then when it actually came through, my mind was was blown actually. So Livingstones is going to donate four thousand nine hundred ninety-five pounds uh, and ninety pence to uh, to the Dugmores for their appeal, and I. I yeah, I was I was actually quite overwhelmed when I saw that figure because you know times are times are tough in the UK. They're tougher elsewhere, but to for the church to be able to make that commitment to the Dugmores to support their work, you give ten p. That'll be four thousand nine hundred ninety six. I'll do I'll do the other four. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the Dugmores. Thank you, Lord, that we have been able to um, use the blessings that you have given us to bless them, Lord and Father. We pray that they're work in that part of the world, that part of the world that's seeing such a resurgence and such a such energy for you, Lord. You know, we, we talk about how potentially the, the next set of missionaries will be African people coming here to 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 reinvigorate us. And Lord, we pray that their work will continue. You will continue to bless their work, that their children will grow up in a in a stable environment, that they'll be um, able to get the education they need to be able to go out and do their parents' missionary work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, going all the way back to the start of creation, is Martin. Right, we're due to finish at quarter past 12. Fine chance. <laughs> no, we, we will stop then, whatever. Uh, so if you don't get your question answer, answered, I'm sorry about that. We'll have to find some other way of doing it. Um, right, just... Lord, I just pray that we will get a grasp. We, no, we won't just pray, we do pray. <laughs> that we will catch a glimpse of the wonder of your creation. And I pray particularly that our faith will be strengthened in the faithfulness of your revelation through your word, uh, that we will be more confident to stand for the truth of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, <coughs> um, oh, I don't know if that in front of me, though. That's what I, yeah, why has that not come up? Oh, that's the one. That's it. That's not that. Okay. Very quickly, I said I was going to do an introduction. I was going to give myself 15 minutes. I'm going to try and do it in five. Okay. <laughs> I want, to, first of all, to establish how foundational knowing that God is our creator is to uh, all of our understanding. I mean, it's, it's what... It's what impacts us every day when we wake up. We've just got to look out around us 
to be reminded. A few scriptures. I'm just going to go wallop through these scriptures. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. He spoke and it came into being. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, it was something from nothing. Well, it wasn't actually from nothing. It was from God. <laughs> but it didn't have anything material before it. God created, as they say in Latin, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Psalm. Psalm 104, a wonderful creation psalm. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Revelation 4. You are worthy, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. The Trinity was involved in creation. Uh, the Spirit brooded, hovered over the waters at the beginning. Uh, Jesus, or the second person of the Trinity, is also included in creation. Here's one example. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. There are two realities. Only two realities. One, God. He's the first reality. And the second reality is everything that God has made. There is nothing that exists that doesn't fit into one of those two things. Colossians 1, uh, again, a uh, reference to how the second person of the Trinity is involved in the creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In other words, there are, there's an invisible creation to the spirit realm, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him. And for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's an important truth. We're not going to consider it, but God not, is not only the creator, he is also the sustainer of everything. The very What we call the laws of science are actually God sustaining his universe faithfully. Psalm 19 and this is where creation is like a witness to humanity. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I can see it. You're looking my way. Or in fact, you can see through the windows there. Out there, God is talking to us. All right? His skies are speaking to us. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. 
but uh, he, it, while he was doing his training, he read Darwin's Origin of Species and became an atheist. And the rest, as they say, is history. Margaret Sanger, she uh, started Planned Parenthood, which is still the major abortion um, company in, in the United States. Um, she believed that she was working in accord with the universal law of evolution. And she maintained that the brains of Abor Australian Aborigines were only one step more evo evolved than chimpanzees and just under blacks, Jews, and Italians. <laughs> Sorry about the Italians here. Um, and she, along with many others, advocated something called eugenics, which was the enforced sterilization of so-called weak and inferior people. And uh, thousands upon thousands of people in the United States were sterilized because of the eugenics program. Uh, Margaret Sanger, one of the key uh, proponents of that and many others and Hitler saw what the United States was doing and took it as an inspiration for his um, uh, treatment of the Jews. Um, this Stephen Jay Gould is a, an evolutionist but a remarkably honest evolutionist. Um, uh, he said, so racism finds a lot of its roots in evolution. Biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, which is when Darwin wrote his Origin of Species. But they increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. And if you go to some grounds now and you hear uh, uh, abhorrent chanting it's, uh, you know, bananas thrown on the pitch and, and monkey sounds and this sort of thing uh, whenever a black player is on the pitch. Uh, it's just, it's a direct throwback to, to Darwin. Um, the German genocide in Namibia was justified by evolution. Uh, it's the most, uh, I, I, the, it's the unimaginable horror of that genocide in Namibia um, and, and paved the way for the Holocaust. Uh, absolutely justified by Darwinism. Uh, Hitler, needless to say, massively influenced by Darwin. Uh, I'll leave that one. I might come back to it later. Okay. Questions? I'm actually going to deal with one Paul brought to me just now, and I'm going to deal with it first, because I think it's one that often comes up. So um, we were talking about dinosaurs. I, I used the, um, uh, the 65 million years tag, and of course this immediately uh, raises the question, well, what about long ages? Uh, how d uh, scientists seem absolutely rock-solid certain that um, the timeline of the history of the world runs over millions, if not billions, of years. And um, how do we know, uh, how do they know that um, it's 65 million years old? And we come to something called radioactive dating. All right, and Paul was asking about uh, carbon dating. Carbon dating is slightly different, actually. Carbon dating is really only good for measuring back uh, fairly recent, thousands of years old things. Um, 
the so-called half-life of carbon-14 means that you, anything over 50,000 years uh, can't be dated by carbon dating. But there are other radioactive decay methods that they use. Uh, and this is the illustration I would use. I want to... Um, I want you to imagine I'm driving up the motorway and s you stop me on the motorway and you say, I want to find out half how far you've travelled. And I'm going to look in your petrol tank. And I'm going to measure the amount of petrol in your tank and the amount of air. And by that, I'm going to tell you how far you've travelled. Now, what problems can you see with that? I could have just filled up recently. I could so petrol could have been added since I started, yeah. I might not have started with a full tank. You don't know how what the measurements were. Don't know what speed I was doing, how my foot may have been flat on the floor. Um, sorry? I could have done a detour, but we'll leave that one. It's still mileage. It's still still weight in the car, yeah, yeah. I could have had a leak in the tank. Okay? Now, <laughs> okay. Radioactive dating assumes that a, a radioactive uh, mineral decays at a certain rate. Now, uh, and so what they do is they take a mineral and they measure how much is still radioactive and how much has decayed. Okay, it's like measuring the air and the petrol. Okay, and from that, knowing the the rate at which those minerals uh, radioactively decay today, measuring present decay rates, they estimate how old the rock is. But you see, there's so many assumptions in that. You don't know how much was in there to start with. You don't know whether the rate of decay has always been the same, and there's a lot of evidence that in the past, radioactive decay was much uh, quicker. Um, you don't know if any is leached out. You don't know if any has been added in. There's so many uh, assumptions that are made with those techniques. And then there are other evidences which would be a massive contradiction. So there are some granites that have uh, been looked at. Now, helium is is the thinnest, smallest, slipperiest sort of uh, element that there is. It, it can find its way out of a rock very easily. Very old rocks should not have any helium in it at all. But they've an analysed so-called ancient granites, granites that are assigned ages of millions of years old, and what have they found? Loads and loads of helium. So much so that helium dating those rocks, they would just be thousands of years old. <laughs> now, it's a contradiction. What, what sense do you make of it? And the probable answer, and this is where the part of the evidence, that the, the rate of radioactive decay has been massively quicker in times past. 
And so the rate has slowed. In other words, it's like you were driving with your foot flat on the floor, but now you're just doing it very, very carefully. Um, diamonds, all right? Diamonds are found deep in the earth, are routinely dated as being millions and millions of years old. They should have absolutely zero carbon-14 in them, because as I just said earlier, carbon-14 decays very quickly, relatively. So diamonds should have no carbon-14 in them at all. Coal, similarly, dated millions of years old, should have no carbon-14 in it. But they find diamonds with plenty of carbon-14 in them. They find coal with loads of carbon-14 in them. And you think, oh, they can't be that old then, can they? And then there's other evidences like the, the soft tissue in dinosaurs, which I, I mentioned earlier, which are... Um, indicate so there's a, there's uh, on the um, creation.com I refer I refer to creation.com look up 100 evidences 101 evidence for, for a young earth okay there are so many evidences for a young earth uh, we know the sea is salty but if it was millions of years old it, it would be so salty, it would be far more salty than the Dead Sea. We know the rate at which the rivers bring the minerals into the sea to make it salty. We know how fast the moon is receding from the earth. We know the rate at which it's doing it. If it had been doing that for m the millions of years, they say, the moon, well, it, it would just have been impossible. It's, it's just... It would have been far too close, far too soon ago. The, um, the rotation of the Earth, we know the rotation of the Earth is slowing down. Uh, if it's slowing down at the rate that we know it's slowing down at over millions of years, it would have been spinning like a top. Um, the rate of magnetic, electromagnetic decay from the core, you know, the, the, the north-south polarization of the Earth, uh, we know the rate of decay of uh, uh, the electromagnetic core. Uh, the Earth would have been like a, uh, a red... Uh, it, would just, it would have burned up if the decay rate was extrapolated back not, not that far. So many evidences for a young Earth and a young universe. Too many to go into. Um, right. Where were Adam and Eve before the Lord God put them in the garden? Now, Claire talked to me about this question, and I'll just go quickly on Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So Genesis 1 talks about how on the sixth day God created the man and the woman, uh, blessed them, and, uh, and, and all the creatures as we were talking about the land creatures as we were talking about earlier. Then in chapter 2, it talks about the Garden of Eden. Now, chapter 2 is really um, a literary device. It's kind of like um, 
chapter one tells about day six. And then chapter two expands what happened on day six and tells you how it happened. I say, uh, so chapter one says God created uh, the man and the woman. And then in chapter two, he says in more detail how he did it. He formed them from the dust of the ground and, and breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. And then it says, and he placed them in the garden which he had made. Okay? Now, that all happened on day six. So God created the whole of the land mass of the earth on day three. Uh, on day four, uh, sorry, on day six, he populated the land mass with the creatures, and he put a garden in it at the same time. Then he formed the man and put him in the garden. So uh, Adam and Eve were not there because Eve came from the rib after, on day six, yeah? Um, was there land before the garden was made? Well, I, m my feeling is that if you take chapter two, as, an, as, a, as a sort of a deeper explanation of what happened on day six, the garden and the land were created at the same time. Yeah? Come back to me later. <laughs> now, but then Claire asked another question, which was, I, I thought, quite important to make. She said, um, the trouble is, we read Genesis 1 and two and three and so on, and we get distracted by all of these scientific kind of questions and doubts about it. And actually we miss the main purpose. The main purpose of, uh, of Genesis is not to give us a scientific explanation of the origins of the earth. Now it has scientific implications, but that's not the main purpose of it. The main purpose is to tell us things that we would otherwise not know about. Like, and I've got a whole list here. Uh, how did the world begin? Why male and female? Why do we wear clothes? Why is there death? Why is there hardship in work? Why is there pain in, in childbirth? Why are there different languages? Why are there different nations? Why are we here? What's our purpose? Um, and particularly for people listening in those days, weren't there loads of gods involved in this? No. Those are the mythologies of the nations around about you, but this story is about one God who created everything. And so it, 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 it strikingly, compared to the Egyptian stories and the Assyrian and the Babylonian stories, strikingly has no reference at all to other gods being involved. And that probably is one of the main purposes of the text, is to just exalt our one and only God as the sole creator of all things. So although I get really in intrigued and interested in, in all the scientific implications of it, actually that is not the main purpose of Genesis. And of course it's to pave the way through our understanding of the fall is to pave the way for our understanding of the gospel, which we had read to us so eloquently from Isaiah 53 earlier. It pointing to Jesus, our Savior, is where Genesis wants us to go.
where is the Garden of Eden today? 80% of the land mass of the earth today comprises sedimentary rocks. Where did those sedimentary rocks come from? How were these, these sedimentary rocks formed? Where did that sediment come from? The flood. Okay. So you've got to think how... The f I, I tried to explain to you how massive an impact the flood had on, on the earth. And so if you think about it, I think that probably, you know, if you took a, a GPS grid, you'd find the Garden of Eden somewhere in what we would call the Middle East today. But actually, it would have been, had it existed, uh, we don't know how long the tree of life was there, how long that angel with the flaming sword going to and fro, the cherubim with the flaming sword going to and fro, preventing access to the tree of life. We don't know how long that continued for, but certainly by the time the flood came, the Garden of Eden would have been destroyed and it would be under probably thousands of feet of sedimentary rocks by now. So you can't really identify the Garden of Eden today. Oh, when did modern science begin? Um, and, and the implication, this is a question from Robin. In other words, atheistic science. He's talking about when did atheistic science begin? And I would say it, it, it developed and grew um, uh, probably about 250 years ago. Um, and prior to that... And through that, through right up to the present day, huge numbers of, of highly significant scientists were absolutely uh, either believers in God or, and in many cases, clear creationists, believing in a young earth and believing God made it. Let me just... Um, Mercator, you know Mercator's projection on your maps that you used to do at school? Okay, a creationist. Copernicus, Francis Bacon, so the so-called father of modern science, was a creationist. Galileo was certainly a believer in God. Kepler, an absolute creationist. Robert Boyle, remember Boyle's Law? Any of you at school remember doing Boyle's Law? Okay, um, a creationist. Isaac Newton had one or two funny ideas, but absolutely he was far more interested in theology than he was in science. Um, he, he was a thorough believer in God. Linnaeus, the one who gave us uh, the, um, the, the classification of all the species, uh, and still the, the, the Linnaean system is still the one that you classify flowers and, and animals by, a creationist. Uh, Euler, the mathematician, Herschel, the astronomer, uh, Joule, uh, Joule is, gives his name to a form of uh, uh, energy, doesn't he? Uh, Gregor Mendel, um, the, uh, the one that, uh, um, breeding, he, 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 he discovered all about breeding. Humphrey Davy, you know, Humphrey Davy of the miner's lamp, Michael Faraday, Electricity, Samuel Morse gave us the Morse code, Richard Owen, who founded the Natural History Museum, uh, James Simpson, Lord Kelvin, James Clark Maxwell, 
George Washington Carville, Raymond Damardian. Raymond Damardian was a wonderful creationist who actually uh, invented the MRI um, uh, machine, and strong suspicion that he didn't get a Nobel Peace uh, Nobel not Peace Prize Nobel Prize for his work because he was a creationist. Um, so, actually, science has been founded on the truth of God as creator. Atheistic science is a recent development. Why did God choose seven days? Well, I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> it just says, doesn't it, in, um, in Exodus 20, when it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, because in six days God made the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day, he rested. And it's almost as though God took seven days to do his work and he rested on the seventh to set an example for us. That we actually are entitled to some rest. Um, oh, uh, Someone asked about who created God and I answered their question it personally and individually. I won't go to that one. Sorry? Um, right. What is more important, the creation or end times? I can't decide. <laughs> um, uh, so, really, uh, should we be uh, emphasizing creation or should we be looking forward to the end times? Which of these is more important? Well, I think they're, they're both important and they are the bookends to human history, aren't they? Uh, and they give shape and purpose and, and understanding to human history. Um, Rosie, your question, I probably, with time, I might have to leave, but we've got a date booked when we're going to talk, so I'll come back to you on that. But it's a really, really good question, and uh, I want to uh, make sure that is addressed. Um, okay, while I've been talking, I've got two minutes left. I think I've looked at all of the ones I've got. Has anything else come up? that you like to ask? Barry. Have they been found? Um, yes. Um, though I have to obviously agree that I, I'm pretty certain that dinosaurs, there's some uh, stories that go around that um, one still lives in deep in the, in the jungles of the African Congo, um, but they haven't actually been found. But, um, oh, what did I say? <laughs> yes, and of course, we've got all these stories about Loch Ness Monster and, and things like that. Um, but here, I, I've got here, I won't read it all out because it's too long, but um, here is... Um, uh, St. Leonard's Forest in Sussex, uh, there is a little village called Dragon's Green, quite near Dalesdown, all right? And there, I, I could show you here, uh, some very, very detailed, authentic records of a creature which was called a serpent or a dragon, 
Um, so where, where do all the stories of dragons come from across the world? I mean, dragons appear all over the world. Where do they come from? Yeah, so Wales, but Wales, China, Germany, you know, St. George, all, all the rest of it. Uh, Beowulf, um, the famous Anglo-Saxon story of uh, the defeat of uh, a, a Tyrannosaurus-like uh, creature in Denmark. Um, where do all these stories come from? Well, it's, it comes from what we would know today as dinosaurs. Uh, dinosaurs are a relatively modern term. But, um, no, this is too long. But it, it, there's a detailed description of its colour, um, what it looks like, its size, um, uh, and, and the people that um, it troubled, it, uh, what it ate. It, 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 it ate, um, it particularly lived near where the rabbits lived because it lived mostly on rabbits. A guy set his dogs on it to try and uh, and kill it, but the dogs got killed, and he just just about escaped with his life. Um, uh, and there are any number of very credible witnesses of sightings of creatures that we would probably call today dinosaurs. T together with all those. Um, carvings that I, I showed you on the screen, which are evidence. Sorry, which? Which culture? Well, we named them. When, when Yeah, I mean, they're named, sometimes they're named after the person who discovered the fossil, aren't they? But they're given a, usually given a Latin tag, yes. That's right, yes, yes. A dinosaur means terrible lizard. Claire? A uh, bit of an intake of breath here. Okay, yeah, the Paluxy River footprints were very famous, and they were actually in that original book that I read on the Genesis Flood. But um, since then, it, it's, it's in the list of arguments that creationists should not use any longer. Okay, th they think that, that the dinosaur tracks are absolutely real and definite, but these so-called human footprints could have been just naturally formed or possibly were fakes. Okay. <laughs> there, there's, there's a history of fakery that goes through both sides, but I tell you, the worst, the absolute worst culprits are the evolutionists. Whether it's the Piltdown Man or uh, recapitulation in the womb, and, uh, well, I won't go into it. The, the fakery of evolutionism is beyond belief. That's time. <laughs> okay, so it's so it's been so fragmentary. <laughs> so I, I left some. We we take something called Creation Magazine. Uh, take as many as you want. I much prefer them to be you know read by others than sit on our shelves. Um, Creation.com I would think is the website that I would recommend most uh, if you want to search. All of these questions, 
all of them. They've got about nearly 15,000 different articles on topics. I can guarantee there's no question they have not had that they've not addressed. Okay, thank you, Father. Lord, this has been just a, a whistle-stop tour through different topics. Um, and there's so much more. But I, wa I, I want to thank you that in 50 years of looking at all of this, there's only one conclusion <laughs> that I've come to. My faith in your word is absolutely strengthened in all that I have found out. And increasingly, every day almost, some new discovery comes out which strengthens our, our confidence uh, that your word is truth. And I pray, Father, that uh, particularly the message of Genesis, the original wonderful world that you created, so damaged through the fall, so that we live in a fallen world, uh, destroyed in the time of the flood, but ma wonderfully preserved through the ark, uh, Lord, and paving the way for Abraham to come and be the father of a new people who are going to redeem this earth through the seed of Jesus. So, Lord, we just want to bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. To finish up, um, just pray us out. I will pray us out. I won't just pray us out. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for what we've um, discussed today. And I think it's an important question. What's more, what's more important, the beginning or the end? Well, this week, Lord, we're going to be focusing on the middle. Jesus, we're going to be focusing on your death and your resurrection. Lord, prepare our hearts for the week ahead. Uh, would we keep be mindful of you, of what you did for us? And Lord, in this world that you have created, I'm always taken by the rules that you set in place that means that there's air that I can breathe and things happen in my body that keep me alive. I open my eyes and there's light that bounces off things so I can see. Lord, the, the world that you created is so amazing and I'm so grateful for you to be part of it. And Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful to know you. So Lord, bless us as we go. Bless our brothers and sisters who aren't here. Those who need healing, Lord, would you be working within them, uh, whether it's their bodies, their minds, parts of their lives. And bless us on our way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And please stay for lunch. And please look out. I can see my wife at the back of the church, back of the room. And please look out for her emails this week with um, some prayer suggestions for Holy Week. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.